You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning, this is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to Cyber Law. downtown Santa Monica, California. Um, please be seated. We've got a great show for you. Um, I've just come back from a week in Washington. I was heading a delegation for the California Bar, and we met with um, people in the White House, the Justice Department, FCC, FTC, um, USPTO, Copyright Office, as well as um, members of Congress. And so it's an interesting week, but apparently not as interesting as Washington is today, as there's a, um, and this, the city is just embroiled with this controversy over Comey and uh, the Comey firing. And this is really a very serious time in Washington, indeed. And we have some. Some issues that we kind of will co- parallel what is going on in Washington. We're going to be talking with um, Braden Allenby, and he is the um, president, professor of civil, environmental, and sustainable engineering and the law, um, and more importantly, the co-founder of the Weaponized Narrative Initiative of the at the Center for the Future of War at Arizona State University. So we're going to be talking to him, and he'll be on in a minute. Um, but I encourage you to look at our show notes at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com and follow us on Twitter at cyberlawradio. Um, so, Braden, are you with us? I am indeed. And thank you for joining us. And you're, you're calling from um, Tempe? That's correct. Thank you for having me, Bennett. Thank you. I hope your air conditioning is working well. <laughs> <laughs> so, what it is with a weaponized narrative? Well, what drew us, uh, I work with uh, Joel Garreau, who's uh, an ex-editor of the Washington Post on, on this particular issue. What drew us to it was the understanding that with the American election, we really had gotten into a post-factual environment. And as you think about that, the first reaction is, of course, that either it's terrible or I don't believe it. Right. Uh, and then the second reaction is, well, what it reflects is some fundamental changes, particularly in our information environment. Uh, there's far more information available to everybody. It comes at us much more rapidly, so it doesn't allow for uh, for thinking much about any particular issue. It means that you begin to respond to it emotionally, and it's much more varied, which means that there's a lot of money to be made and a lot of benefit to be gained by tailoring it to your specific uh, environments, your specific belief systems, your worldview. And so the question then becomes, how do I begin to fashion this into a geopolitical weapon that enables me to assert power without falling back on conventional kinetic forces? Right. And that's what led us to this this effort. And so you're looking at what... I'm assuming that you know the Russian interference in U.S. elections in 2016. Is that correct? That's that's part of it. Yes, 
there's other kinds of weaponized narratives. Uh, for example, ISIS uh, does a very good job of developing a specialized narrative that's very, very appealing to young people who have fragile identities and who have been thrown into a modernity that they're not prepared for and have difficulty adjusting to. So there's different kinds, but they all have the similarity that what they're doing is they're understanding that we're now beginning to develop the uh, psychology, the behavioral economics, and the information tools to allow us to manipulate people uh, at an individual level without their being aware of the fact they're being manipulated. Yeah. In, I was involved in the Clinton campaign and back in 1992 and yeah. on, on a fundraising level, but uh, not on a strategy level. But I remember their motto was to always respond within the same news cycle. And yes. today... What what is how do you define the news cycle? I mean, exactly. it, it sounds like you know this this stuff is just it's it, the news cycle is now and now <laughs> and now right. you know uh, how how do you, how do people how do people define it and and how do you respond um, rapidly in this in this environment? Well, and I think that's the interesting thing, Bennett. I don't think you can, because I think there's at least a couple of things going on. One is that the news cycles have grown, grown much more rapid. But the second is that there's no such thing as a news cycle anymore. What I can do, if I'm good at this game, is I can identify subgroups and I can develop news cycles for them that never rise out of that community, so they're never responded to. So, for ex for example, the the story about about you know uh, uh, Secretary uh, Hillary running a uh, uh, running a, a child molestation oh, uh, an atomic pizza. scheme. Yeah, I, I mean, I drove by there Saturday night. I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" <laughs> yeah, so. But nobody knew to respond to that, right? I mean, right. If, if, because nobody knew what was going on. So what happens if, for example, your, um, your Russia is that you begin introducing these stories very rapidly into very specialized targeted groups that you've identified, such as the alt-right, and they never get responded to because they never get out of that echo chamber. Right. And so how does it have – but if it doesn't get out of the echo chamber, how does it have impact beyond the, the narrow confines of the, the white supremacist alt-right? Well, you don't necessarily need it to have impact outside of there because what you do is you target your narrative to enough different subgroups so that you fragment the cohesion of the target society. So, for example, what's going on in the United States right now is pretty much ideal from the Russian perspective because it's, it's weakened the United States, it's made our allies doubt us, it's thrown some doubt on, on institutions like NATO. So it has reduced the ability of the United States to lead a response to Russian initiatives, particularly in their near environment. While at the same time, you don't have to worry about you know, invading the Americans or starting a conventional war, which you don't want to do because you'll lose it. Uh, and so what you can do is you can have the United States as a paper tiger. It's scary, so you can use it with internal Russian audiences, but it's not able to respond effectively, so you have much more freedom to act as Russia uh, on your geopolitical uh, desires. Now, you, uh, you, I heard you on NPR earlier this week, and you, you mentioned that for for Russia, the the fact that there, we are discussing and have been discussing Russia's involvement in the 2016 election now for uh, five months or more, um, it, that is a that's actually a good thing. Russia likes the fact that, in essence, it's been caught. Yes. Well, there's a couple of things that lead to that. 
uh, one of the one of the obvious indicators is that we're able to talk with a fair degree of probability about the fact that it was the Russians, particularly the uh, uh, Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear uh, Advanced Persistent Threats, the Russian organizations that are leading this effort. We're able to say, well, it is probably the Russians that uh, that uh, impacted the American election, that were active in the French election, that are active in Germany with the coming election, because they haven't bothered to really hide their tracks. Mm. Now, the Russians are very good at this. If they wanted to hide their tracks, they would. And if you and, think about – sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. So I was going to say, so if you think about it from their perspective, uh, realistically speaking, Russia is a weak petrostate. Right. So they really don't have a lot when it comes to the more traditional uh, 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 indicia of a global power. But their activities in cyber allow them to appear to be a global power and allow Putin to represent himself as making Russia a global power to his domestic constituency, which is important for him. Uh, I see. And you know, Russia is, you know, into, on paper, it's somewhat of a power. I mean, they are the sixth largest economy and I think the third or fourth largest military. But their, you know, their economy is, as you mentioned, largely from natural resources and um, it's not um, an advanced industrial economy as uh, you know the the countries of Western Europe are. Right. And, and, and worse. So, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and worse yet, they're probably not going to get there because the the corruption and the sort of Kafka esque uh, commercial environment that that Russia has now make it very difficult to grow a modern economy. And so I understand why there's some political payoff at home for doing this. You know, obviously it does make Russia seem like they are in the big leagues again. And I'm sure there's a certain amount of nostalgia for the days when that, that you know, the Soviet Union existed and they, they were. Um, what What is the calculus, though? Why would they choose to get involved in the U.S. election to begin with? Well, that requires, I think – a little bit of understanding of, of the Russian psychology. As both Russia and China, for a number of reasons, have redefined conflict in the 21st century away from conventional conflict, partially because the United States is so dominant in, in conventional weapons and conventional uh, uh, strength into what you might call civilizational conflict. That is to say, every aspect of a culture's behavior is part of the conflict between you and that culture. So the Chinese, for example, attack uh, American economic interests. Uh, the Russians are attacking uh, American social uh, divides and exacerbating them. Part of that is because Russia believes itself to be in a state of war with the United States. Uh, Russia's perspective is that, for example, the demonstrations that uh, occurred in Russia after the last election right. were fomented by the United States and were part of an attack by the United States on uh, the Russian government. And so they, you know the prior administration was, particularly Secretary Clinton, was very critical of Russia. Yes, and and Putin in particular. Yes, exactly. And so that was taken because partially because of Russia's doctrine, that was taken as an American uh, uh, effort, which amounted to war directed against the Russian administration. And so, from the Russian perspective. What they are doing is not necessarily a, uh, uh, an, an unjustified attack on the United States. It is a legitimate response to an initial attack by the United States. Now, again, I emphasize that's their perspective. Their perspective, yeah. But it's one that we have to be aware of because if they're playing from that psychology, 
and we're playing from our psychology, there's a fundamental misunderstanding in the way that, that both adversaries perceive the world. And and I know one thing that drives Russian psychology, too, is whether it's Napoleon or Hitler, you know, Russia has uh, had threats come from the West, the Western yeah. Front. And Absolutely. The, and they're seeing in the post-Cold War, they are seeing the United States expand NATO to its border. That's and, correct. And, and, and put weapons up to its border. And, and, and they see that as somewhat of a threatening posture. Well, and you combine that with the fact that their conventional uh, uh, military is significantly weaker than it was uh, in the days of the Soviet Union. And it's, it's not unreasonable from the Russian perspective to see the Western moves as a threat. That's absolutely correct. And, and to them, that helps justify this response. So they're con- they get involved in the 2016 election. And is it your assessment that they you know, obviously were had an, an animus towards Secretary Clinton? Do you think they were also pro-Trump or pro-any other candidate such as Sanders? Well, it's always important when you're talking about these kinds of initiatives by the Russians to understand that that they're working from a fairly postmodern, amoral kind of framework. So to them, the question would not necessarily be, do we do we you know like uh, Secretary Clinton? Do we not like um, uh, President Trump? Um, their their response is more likely to be which which avenue uh, will improve our position more. And from that perspective, I think they pretty clearly um, uh, favored Mr. Trump. And and also clearly got positions that are more favorable to them through Mr. Trump. You know, they, they yeah. changed, you know, platform positions on, you know, Georgia, Crimea, which were changed. Um, Trump clearly has, yeah, I don't know if anyone's, he, he's probably the only world leader he hasn't said anything, something bad about. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I do think you know, they, they got that as well. Unfortunately, uh, I think that's a reasonable assessment. I mean, if you look at the Russian playbook, and I mean, the Russians and the Americans both got pretty good at doing disinformation during the Cold War. So this is, part of this is not new. Uh, But if you look at what the Russians tend to emphasize, they tend to like to attack and undermine mainstream media, because it means it means that they have much more room to play with alternate narratives, alternate facts. So, so we see the administration attacking uh, mainstream media. Right. Uh, they like to attack and undermine government institutions because, again, that opens up the avenue for them to insert different narratives uh, and different ideas. And we see the administration, for example, attacking the intelligence institutions. You were referring to that earlier. Right. They like a divided society uh, because it allows them to weaken their adversary without committing any of their troops, without committing any of their national prestige. Again, you see that occurring. They like to reduce trust in a society because if you reduce trust, you open up the opportunities to create these alternate narratives and to ring fence uh, groups like the alt-right and have them become independent sources um, of political activity within the target country. Again, we see that happening. Uh, And finally, what, what you want is a country that you have weakened and distorted enough so that you can get them to do what you need to have them do without exerting force uh, or having to suffer the the consequences of getting into a conventional war. Interesting. Well, we're going to take a short break. Um, 
but after these messages, we'll be talking to Braden Allenby more about the weaponized narrative initiative. You're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report only on cranberry.fm. Tune for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. How much are your best ideas worth? PriorThings.com gives you an added layer of protection for all of your intellectual property, ideas, and creative things. New business idea, pitch deck, PowerPoint presentation, song lyrics, source code, killer blog posts. We help you protect it all. How do we do it? We use the same technology platform that secures transactions for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Learn more at PriorThings.com. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry Radio listeners by going to bit.ly slash circle. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Cranberry Radio is your new destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Get educated and entertained by our panel of on-air experts and peers. And engage with us anytime by following us on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and LinkedIn. So you can reach us before and after every program. Located on our new social shareable live streaming player. Access the new Cranberry Radio live stream player at our website, cranberry.fm. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back and we're talking to Braden Allenby uh, about the weaponized narrative initiative. But before we go back to Braden, I just want to give a shout out to my former carpool buddy, um, in 1982, I was working on a campaign in Connecticut, and I had a carpool with a young, heart, recent Harvard grad who was working on the Senate race, um, and Toby Moffat, who who lost to Lowell Weicker in 1982. And um, yesterday, that um, young Harvard grad, not so young now, um, was just that gave a stellar performance on CNN as he tore into the Trump administration for the firing of Comey, calling it a grotesque abuse, grotesque abuse of power. And um, yeah, I want to give a shout out to Jeff Tubin for his great performance yesterday and really calling it like it was um, where he actually said, can we point out that the emperor is not wearing any clothes and just really um, pointing out just the, the alarming nature of what had happened yesterday with um, um, firing Director Comey. But um, shout out to Jeff and keep up the good work. But we're back with Braden. Um, what's the Chinese curse? May you live in interesting times. It looks like <laughs> the Russians are achieving that. Well, the Russians and and others too. I mean, it's it's important to remember that the Russians couldn't do what they did in the United States if we hadn't already created an environment that was conducive to that kind of attack, uh, the kind of thing that, for example, that, that they were trying, had they been able to do something similar during the Cold War, uh, it would have gotten nowhere because Americans were united. Right. Uh, na- now, for better or worse, America is, is fragmenting into ring-fence communities that are supported by their own narratives and are tending more and more to look at other communities within the United States as being the other, as being uh, as being evil, as being immoral. And that's what the Russians are taking advantage of. Now, you're you're with the um, Center for the Future of War. That's correct. And obviously, what is war is changing, and especially as we've seen with cyber war. 
Um, with Russia, we saw that when their um, when their invasion of, of Georgia, the 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 first first strike was through a mouse. Um, yes, is what we saw in the 2016 election is that an act of war? That depends on how you define war. Part of part of what we have not grappled with in this country or in international institutions is the fact that emerging technologies across the entire frontier, I mean, everything from, from bio and nano to, to information and communication technologies, the kinds of things we're talking about here, all of this has meant that the assumptions that underlie our existing legal institutions are becoming contingent or even dysfunctional at a far more rapid rate than our institutions are able to respond. Sure. So what we have is a situation, for example, in, in Take Cyber, where some of the laws of war uh, are becoming questionable, but we don't have any substitute, nor do we have institutional mechanisms to look for substitutes. Uh, let's let's take the, the interference in the U.S. elections. Uh, given that essentially what and, – and this is hypothetical. I want to emphasize that. Sure. Given that the Russians <laughs> may have had an important impact on the American election – if you assume that that amounts to some sort of coup, that would clearly be uh, an act of war under some definitions. But the way that we think of war as a conventional kinetic uh, engagement means that we don't know how to respond to that. Uh, you know, the the initial response to, to cyber was, well, if you attack us with cyber, we'll drop a bomb down your smokestack. But, but that trivializes how complex that technology really is. How do you know? How can you attribute for sure an act of cyber um, uh, uh, crime or, or even a, a cyber attack, uh, a pattern of cyber attacks, such as in 2016 in the American election? How do you, how do you think about that? in terms that say, well, if tanks roll over your border, you've been attacked. Right. So, so what we have, I think, is a situation where the technology and the ability to use it in new ways has gotten way ahead of both the existing law, but more importantly, our ability to adjust existing law rapidly enough to keep up with it. So you're in the Oval Office. And you get the get a report from intelligence and authorities that you know the Russians have interfered with our elections on a a very massive scale. Yes. What is the appropriate response? Well, so I'll give you some ideas without without saying that that I was was or am uh, uh, privileged to enough information to know what sure. would work. I think the uh, the responses that were public had to be stronger than there were than they were. I mean it just it doesn't do to kick out a couple of diplomats if what they're doing is attacking the core of your democratic process. Right. Um I would have I would have done at least a couple of things. And again, this goes back to the the idea of asymmetric warfare, right? The idea that if your opponent is really good at traditional warfare, you have to figure out other ways to attack him that don't involve getting tied down where he's strongest. So what the Russians have done is they've chosen an area that the Americans are not good at responding at, which is this weaponized narrative mm -hmm. uh, sort of approach. What I would have done is probably twofold. The first thing I would have done is said – um, we're considering a subsidy for uh, fracking. And uh, it may well be that if the Russians want to continue exploring our electoral processes, uh, we'll find it necessary to implement a major subsidy for fracking. Which would then bring the price of oil down and hurt their economy substantially. Bingo. 
Uh, most people don't know it, but probably the most important strategic weapon the United States has now against Russia is fracking. Wow. Uh, that's not the way that it's positioned in domestic discussion where it's all about the environment, which is important. Uh, but it, but it, it blinks the fact that in the real world of geopolitics, fracking is a critical American weapon that we're not using very effectively. So that's one thing that I would think about. Uh, and I would make the threat public. The second thing I would think about is if you look at Russia, particularly why they're doing this, a lot of it feeds back to their domestic politics and the need for domestic legitimacy. Putin is very popular right now in Russia, in part because he has uh, he's, he's made them strong and he's given them a self-image uh, uh, that reflects back to the Soviet days. And so they're very, they're very supportive of Putin. Mm -hmm. But it's theater the absurd, right? I mean, you, you attack Crimea, people are dying, and you have a motorcycle gang ride in holding orthodox crosses. What the flip? So, so the way to attack Putin is not to, for example, leak details about where he's got money stashed away because their, their disinformation system in, in Russia will completely wash that out. The way to get at Putin is to make fun of him. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Put out graphic novels that, 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 that make fun of running around with your shirt off uh, in, the, in the jungles of, of Siberia. Uh, so just, just use ridicule. Use satire. Because so Saturday Night Live is a weapon. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and part of the problem with the Americans is when you sit down and you say, okay, how are we going to respond? What comes to mind is, well, let's see. Can we do sanctions? Do we have to think about the military? We need to be able to think much more out of the box than we're thinking now. Interesting. Now – you you achieved let's from a Russian perspective. You know, the 2016 was fairly successful, and now you have a very critical election in France, and they clearly they were openly involved in that to the extent that they were at least financing um, the far right candidate Le Pen. Right, but then as we saw just on. Very, you know, France has this strange blackout right before you vote. And just before the blackout, there was this, they dropped a, a leak of Macron's emails and uh, very similar to what had happened in, in the American election. Um, and is there any dispute that, that that was a Russian involvement? Well, I mean, the Russians consistently deny everything. Um, but it's it's very much a kind of nudge nudge wink wink process, right? I mean, right. the Russians have the best of both worlds right now. Everybody knows it's Russia, but they deny it so they don't have to take responsibility for it. So, I mean, they're you have to hand it to the Russians; they're doing a pretty good job. A lot of people have said that that uh, what happened in France represents a defeat of the Russian strategy. It really doesn't. I mean. The Russians are not doing this to try to elect somebody in France. Now, if it had worked for them, would they be happy about it? Sure. Right. But part about what the Russians are doing, and, and if, you, if you're going to understand it, this is important. They're basically still doing trial and error, right? What works? What doesn't work? What works in France? What works in the United States? Is it the same thing? So that Part of the, the reason that, that the United States needs to become much more active in this field is because there's a very steep learning curve, and the Russians are basically walking their way up that curve. You know, now, the Russia, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, the Russians aren't in this for an immediate victory in France. It would have been nice, but, but they're in it for the long run, which is – the disruption of the Western model such that they can maintain the soft authoritarianism of, of Putin and behind him of the military and security state in Russia. 
Now, one thing I'm puzzled about, in I, I can see how the United States would be different, but in terms of Europe, yeah. supporting these right-wing candidates, the very nationalistic candidates from Le Pen to now, now there's evidence that they're working in Germany and, and other parts of Europe. For a country that lost millions in World War II as a result of you know, fascism, the rise of fascism and nationalism yep. in Europe that ultimately yep. led to, or, you know, Germany in, invading and almost conquering Russia, you know, but for a, a standoff at Stalingrad. Um, why would they want to reignite that element in Europe today? I'm... I'm not sure that they're thinking that far ahead. I think that that what they see is the rise of the alt-right, both in Europe and the United States, and they see that it, it fits their immediate needs. And that is, it's anti-government, it's anti-U.S., and it's anti-structures like NATO and in some cases, the European Union. So it becomes a mechanism for them to encourage that kind of social fragmentation. It's a dangerous game precisely for the reason that you say. Once once you begin to fragment a society and people start fleeing to the far right or the far left, you can have some very dangerous repercussions. But in the short term, it certainly feeds Russian interests to do that because what it means is that they'll have far more ability to, um, to exercise their power, particularly in their, in their near uh, geopolitical environment in Eastern Europe, for example, than they would otherwise. If you look back at Crimea, for example, one of the things they did very well, not just in Crimea, but in Europe – was undermine the possibility of a strong and unified NATO response at the very beginning. The longer they did that, the more they could establish facts on the ground that they could they could then solidify, which is where we are now. And, and how, did, how did they do that? Well, in part they did that by looking at different countries and figuring out how they could prevent both Europe as a whole – and NATO from taking an immediate strong stand. So the United States came out with a fairly strong position. Russia, relying in part on the information they'd gotten from Snowden, was able to convince the Germans that the Americans might not be as trustworthy leaders as they thought and therefore begin to fragment a NATO response. You don't have to completely determine what the response is, all you have to do is throw enough sand in the gears. And that's what they did. Interesting. Well, we're going to take our last break, but when we come back, we'll be wrapping up with Braden Allenby on this interesting topic of the weaponized narrative. You're listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report only on cranberry.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, 
So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. More refreshing talk radio on air and on demand 24-7. Only on Cranberry Radio. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back and we're talking to Braden Allenby. And, and so we have a successful Russian intervention in the American election um maybe a, a successful or not intervention in the French election, at least to the extent that Le Pen made it to the final round and you know got substantial support from young voters. Um, now we're we're moving to Germany. And what what are you expecting to see there? Oh I, I would expect the same thing. I would be very surprised if we don't see Russian intervention in the German election and and fairly uh, fairly blatant. Uh, the the kind of thing they did both in the American and the French elections was not covered at all. Uh, it was particularly if if you if you work in the area, it was pretty uh, it was pretty in your face. And I would be I would be surprised if we didn't see the same thing in Germany. Again, not because they expect to win, but because it exacerbates social divisions, and in doing so, it allows them to uh, advance their interests. Now, un- unlike France and some of the other countries, uh, Germany was in- invaded and occupied by Russia. Yes, and and in fact, I, I do a, a blog uh, on it's called Today Pass, where I re- re- discuss you know what happened on that day in history, and one of the, my most popular posts is a blog from May, um, referring to 1945 when the Russians came in and lo- committed large scale rapes of German women as part of their uh, you know taking over Berlin. And so given the, the, the animus that may still exist between the two countries, it, it, how, how does Russia approach it in that scenario? Or is it, are they likely to get more resistance if there's any, if someone is actually tied to a Russian source? That's, probably one of the things that that people are going to be playing with over the next couple of years uh that's part of the learning curve um i think it's first place let me let me just say that that i really like the idea bennett of going back into history and and trying to bring that knowledge into today's events there's way too little history in a lot of the a lot of the ways that we think about what's going on today uh and it's a very important source of wisdom so good for you thank you um but i you know i think that there's a there's a real politique in russia which is which is not going to worry too much about the way things were back in in the the 1940s I mean, both the Germans in Russia and the Russians in Germany were extraordinarily brutal, uh, and and that would have precluded any kind of of activity that that associated Russia with a group in Germany uh, for a number of years. Right. But I think that period's probably over. Um, Germany is not. I mean. Merkel, for example, was not hostile to Putin until it was clear that Putin was not interested in participating in the usual international institutions in a productive way. Uh, so Germany is is probably more pro-Russian than people realize. It's just 
It's just a more sophisticated pro-Russian than you see in places like, say, uh, the Balkans or, mm. or Greece. Interesting. And, and so do you expect or do you have any prediction on what role, if any, or how successful Russia will be in disrupting the German election? Um, I don't think that they'll be successful uh, in any sort of traditional sense. I think that they will learn things. I think that they will make contacts. And I think that they will be building databases that are really part of a more long-term strategy. And I think that will be successful. Uh, one of the things to, to think about is let's go back to fracking. And mm -hmm. let's notice how unsuccessful fracking has been in Europe, which is where if you fracked, you would uh, undermine Russia's ability to uh, nudge Europe by using its energy uh, exports to Europe. So Europe, perhaps, not the United States, might want to be more interested in fracking, but they're not. Right. So the question is, why aren't they? The question is, how much implicit or explicit Russian support have anti-fracking movements gotten in Europe? So to think of this as only impinging elections, I think, is to minimize the breadth of the Russian approach to weaponized narrative, both in Europe and in the United States. And I get your point. I mean, basically... Our approach is, is linear. You interfere with our elections, so we must do something relating exactly. to that offense. And you're suggesting in more of a um, – I'm forgetting the, uh, the Chinese general, um, Sun Tzu. Um, yes. That you, we are playing – you're playing on multiple chessboards at the same time. Yes. And just because they, they move a piece on one chessboard – you know, the right response may not be that chessboard. It may be something else, like you're saying, fracking. Um, so we only have a few minutes left, and I was wondering if, if you want to tell us more about how people can learn more about your institute and if you have any appearances coming up you want to promote. Well, one of the ways to learn more about the Center for the Future of War uh, is to uh, take a look at the website of the New America Foundation. Uh, the Center for the Future of War is a very broad look at conflict. It's an effort to get beyond some of the some of the things that we've talked about today and look at conflict broadly with the hopes that in doing so, what we can do, even though we have conflict, is turn it to less violent um, and perhaps even more productive uh, 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 expressions. So, for example, instead of a, uh, a conflict between the U.S. and Russia or the U.S. and China that involves damaging each other, think about a conflict where we try to uh, push our civilizations as examples that other people might want to indulge in, uh, our soft power. Right. So – that's a lot of what goes on with the Center for the Future of War, and we're part of that. So that's, that's one thing that I think people might be interested in. The other is just a, uh, an observation, uh, and this is where I think the real challenge is for the American people. And I, I don't have any good places to go for knowledge on this because it requires, I think, new thinking on all of our parts. But there's nothing that Russia has done that isn't taking advantage of weaknesses that Americans have allowed to develop in their society and in their culture. Those weaknesses continue and they're going to uh, be exacerbated. And so the question is, how do we reconstruct an America that is, uh, that is strong and represents our values in a much, much more complex world. As you say, Americans are linear. We have to develop an American exceptionalism and American narratives 
that are suitable for a much more complex world. So we only have two minutes, um, but just to quickly address that point, I mean, there's some who believe in that these voices and the alt-right and the other communities that, you know, just ignore them, you know, don't, don't feed the trolls. But are you suggesting that we really need to kind of take take these people on and shine a light on, on their hate? I Well, I think we need to do that just to protect minorities and, and other groups that are being attacked. But I think more broadly, we need to leapfrog the entire existing structure of confusion and ring fence communities that we have today to an America that all of us can believe in that is that holds our values, but that is strong enough to support us in this much more complex world that, after all, Bennett, we're already in. Right. And do you have any uh, speaking appearances coming up you want to promote? Um, none offhand, actually. I tend to I tend to be speaking to my my students, and and they uh, they seem to take it with a mix of salt. So <laughs> that's that's where I do most of my speaking. All right. Well, I want to thank you. We're we're, we're almost out of time. And join us. Thank you very much for joining us. Next week, we'll have Paul Menendez. We'll be talking about protecting trade secrets in the social media age. This is Bennett Kelly. Thank you for joining us. Join us next week for another edition of Cyberlaw and Prison Report. Check out our blog, cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. Check us out on Twitter, Cyberlaw Radio. And as always, check out the Internet Law Center, internetlawcenter.net. And we know the internet. So have a great week, everyone. Thanks again. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite.